Samson's Secret. The story of Samson is riddled with things that are concealed and things that are revealed. That is epitomized most clearly, of course, in the riddle that we read in chapter 14 and in the source of his strength that is in chapter 16. But if we took the time to work through each of these stories, you would see this idea of that which is concealed and that which is then revealed pervades each one of the sections. His secret, of course, most immediately, his secret is found in his hair, and in particular to the vow which we consider when we look back at uh, chapter 13, the Nazarite vow which his parents had taken on his behalf and of which he apparently knew something, no razor should touch his head. Now it has to be said that Samson doesn't seem to take the vow of the Nazarite too seriously or to at least take it with the intent that it ought to have had, a man in a life, a woman in a life dedicated unto the Lord, but he at least somehow seems aware of the link that exists between at least this part of his life, and by the way, this is a fairly easy part of the vow to keep compared to other parts of the vow, which he, he was more negotiable on the other parts of this, but he at least saw the link that existed between the vow, his hair, and his superhero-like strength that he displays. But our writer makes it clear that behind the vow, behind the hair, there is actually another secret. That's what it is on the surface, but there's another secret that lies behind it. Namely, the Lord is with him, and it's expressed in this idea that the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him in these unique situations in which he finds himself. Now, we have seen other judges be filled with the power of the Spirit when it came time to attack the enemy. And one of the things we questioned then, and I think is appropriate to question now, is even though that is described as what took place by the author, one wonders how much did Samson actually realize that? In the moment, did he actually find an awareness of the fact that he was being empowered by the Spirit of God? Frankly, I doubt it from the way the story is told. But beyond that, we've got to take one more step back to understand the secret. We've got to go behind the hair, behind the vow, behind the onrushing of the Spirit of God to chapter 14, verse 4. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Something concealed, something revealed here. Samson's secret is that in all of the sin, in all of the comedy, in all of the tragedy that is his life, God is at work accomplishing his purposes. The providence of God is at work putting him in these various situations that oftentimes seem like awful situations. His mother and his father did not know that it was from the Lord. God is doing this, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. A natural question for us would be, he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Who is the antecedent of that pronoun? 
Is it Samson seeking an opportunity against a Philist the Philistines? Or is it, and this is of course my preference in this particular case, it is God who is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Samson seems consumed with a woman. She looks right in his eyes all the way through. He doesn't seem to take advantage of the opportunity the way one might if they were setting an ambush. It is, in fact, God who is arranging this opportunity against the Philistines. God's plan is always difficult to discern at the moment, for the secret things belong to the Lord. But neither we nor the writer of the book of Judges are in this moment, and so what we are allowed to see, what the author allows us to see, is what is going on behind the events. He reveals to us, the reader, the secret. And the secret is this. Samson is a savior. Samson is a deliverer. God is using his convoluted actions and words to judge the Philistines and to deliver Israel. Samson was a savior, but you may not have guessed it if you were living at that time and in that place. You may have looked at that and said, there's no way, there's no way that this guy is a savior given his behavior. Now let's take this story of Samson and put it within the sweep of biblical redemptive history. I want to paraphrase Augustine. Augustine says this, the gracious purposes of God are in the Old Testament concealed and in the New they are revealed. Jesus was a savior but you may not have guessed it. You may have looked at that man from an obscure town with not very significant parentage, no significant connections around him. You may have looked at his life and you certainly may have looked at his death. You may have looked at him hanging on a cross and kind of said to yourself, this doesn't match up with the expectations that I have of a savior. Physically, I think my Savior should look more like what Samson probably looked like on the outside. We may have seen Jesus, but not actually seen him. Until that is, the mystery is revealed. Until the blindness is cured. And by the way, in this story, you've got several themes that are lapping back and forth over top of one another, concealed and revealed things, the ability to see, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes, and then blindness that comes in at the end, but it is in fact a blindness that actually might allow him to see for the very first time how utterly dependent he is upon the Lord. But until our blindness is cured, we oftentimes remain like Samson's mother and his father, like Israelites, like Philistines, even like Samson himself. We often remain eyeless in Gaza, unable to see who the Savior is and what he has done for us, blind to the purposes of God. That is true for our own lives as well. 
God is at work in our lives and in the circumstances of our lives. But we often cannot see how that could be taking place in the actual moment of time in which we live. Samson's secret is that God is providentially at work in his life, making him a deliverer. Secondly, let's consider together Samson's tortured soul. When we think of Samson, we naturally think of his strength and we think about him physically. And whenever he is portrayed artistically over the course of history, it would not be surprising to us to learn that Samson kind of looks like Dwayne Johnson. Samson kind of looks like The Rock. He is a huge guy, and who knows, that could be exactly what Samson looked like, for all we know. He may have had those bulging kind of muscles, those ripples in every part of him. And, and while that is true, while we can marvel at the physical strength that is here and just go, wow, how, how is that actually taking place? He is, at the exact same time, almost comically weak and foolish. He's driven by lust, by passion, by sensuality, with seemingly no ability to subdue those things. He can kill a thousand Philistine with the jawbone of a donkey, but he cannot subdue himself. He cannot take care of what's inside of him. He seems to be a man who is desperate to find love. He wants to find someone with whom he can share his life, with whom he can share his innermost thoughts, someone who will understand him while he himself is utterly incapable of giving anything that would produce that type of love and that type of trust in someone else. He is a tortured soul. Verse 16, uh, pardon me, chapter 16, verse 16, I think says this beautifully. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. A tortured soul tortured by what he wants to be, and yet, when push comes to shove, and push often comes to shove in the life of Samson, what he wants to be is a dream. It is a mist. It vanishes as soon as with his strong hands he tries to get hold of it, it is gone from in front of him. tortured soul. A tortured soul he is like we often find ourselves to be. Controlled by that from which we would be free. Samson says in words that could be ours as well, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Only only to find himself bound, as we often are, bound to the same old patterns in our lives, 
We would like to say, away with those things. Away with the things that keep me from loving. Away with the things that hold me back from walking with God, from loving my wife, from taking care of my kids, from being honest, from being virtuous, from being faithful. Away with them. I will be free. I'll set myself free from them. I'll make a new resolve. I'll make a new recommitment only to find ourselves once again in the bonds. If that is you, you are not alone. Samson is you. Samson is Israel. Samson is Paul, who says, wretched man that I am. I can't escape this struggle that is within me. We've been blessed. Israel have been blessed. We've been blessed. We've been redeemed. We've been gifted. We have been spirit-filled. And yet, we sin again and again and again after all of the resolves, after all of the repentances which we have done, we find ourselves right back into a pattern which we know the more that we do it, the more it sinks its thorns deeper into our flesh. Tolstoy wrote words about himself that Samson would have said, I am unendurably vile in my craving for depravity. I don't know about you, but I would like to be a hero. I would like to be, if not a hero, you know, everybody says, I don't want to be thought of as a hero. Secretly, I'd like to be a hero. Or at least what I would like to be is heroic. Quietly heroic. But my soul is tortured by a hideous strength. Rendering me weak, bound, eyeless, gouged out, grinding at the mill, in the prison, tormented. Tormented by those from whom I would find love. But there's good news. Samson's salvific sacrifice. There's good news for the weak, for the blind, for the tortured souls. And the good news is called redemption, and it is sweet. To human eyes, it looks like Samson's life had reached its fatal and futile conclusion. No more victories, no more conquering, no more hair, no more freedom, no more fighting. There he sat, grinding at the mill in the prison. He had fought the fight, and in the end, he lost. And there he sat. Samson, the warrior, had become Samson, the entertainer. Samson, the ravager of the Philistines, had become Samson, the punchline. Samson, the sight gag. Let's bring him out. Let's see what he has to do. Let's see some, some old Samson tricks. But God hears the cry of the tortured, of the tormented, 
of the forgotten. God hears their cry. And he hears the cry of his servant, servant. And Samson's death becomes his greatest victory. His death is the salvific sacrifice of a selected, of an appointed, of a chosen son crafted in his mother's womb to begin the salvation, the deliverance of the people of Israel. His tragedy is swallowed up in victory. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Out of the ravager came deliverance for the people of Israel. Out of the man bloodied and hanging on the cross, you know where this has to go. Out of the man bloodied and hanging on the cross comes salvation. has to go there. You know it has to go there. You know why you know it has to go there? You know it has to go there because the mystery has been revealed to you. It was concealed for a time, no longer. The secret is out of what the man on the cross did through his death. Neither Samson, nor David, nor Daniel, men who were all somewhat adept at dealing with lions in their time, none of them can deliver us from the roaring lion that seeks to devour our souls. Lion killers or ones just whom lions by the grace of God didn't eat, it will take someone else than those men. That task belongs to our champion, to God's son, to the chosen one, to the selected one, to the one who has been appointed sacrifice on behalf of his people, to Jesus. He was troubled of soul, but pure of heart. He thirsted, but he drank of the cup of the wrath of God. And in death, he defeated death. And we don't have this part of Samson's story. He rose to newness of life. Samson's story ends with his death. Well, not if you read the book of Hebrews. But if you read the book of Judges, Samson's story ends with his death. Jesus doesn't. He is the hope of tortured souls. This is the last of the Judges. And thinking of the judges that have all come to this point that we've looked at, and thinking of Samson himself, I want to give us this conclusion. This that I'm about to tell you is a common tale. I read it from Ralph Davies in his commentary. During the war between the states, the story spread that General Grant had been drunk at the Battle of Shiloh. About 11 o'clock one night, President Lincoln received his friend A.K. McClure, McClure was on a mission. As spokesman for a number of Republicans, he pressed his argument for almost two hours on how popular opinion was against Grant, and therefore Grant should be dismissed so that Lincoln himself could retain the country's confidence. 
Lincoln rarely interrupted. Then, as McClure himself reported it, Lincoln remained silent for what seemed a very long time. He then gathered himself up in his chair and said in a tone of earnestness that I shall never forget, I can't spare this man. He fights. He may be causing trouble, but he fights. Samson and the other judges, a tortured soul, sick with sin, weak and strong, sometimes blind, fought, empowered by the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, the captain of the host, I've asked myself this question, I ask this question to you. Will you fight the battle that God has put in front of you? We know, by the way, that you are weak. We know it because we are weak too. Will you fight? Not will you win, but will you fight? In our call to worship, we had a phrase that is so prevalent in the book of Revelation. Also, those who had conquered the beast, they're standing beside him. Those who overcome, those who conquer, those are the ones who are found in the Lamb's book of life. And so the question becomes, will you fight? In the name of Jesus Christ, will you fight the good fight of faith? Will you fight with your natural selfishness to look for opportunities to give, to look for opportunities to serve? Will you fight with your natural laziness and look for opportunities to be diligent and to work hard at the job that God has given you, with the gifts that he has given you, and the place that he's put you in? Will you fight fear? Fight shamefulness? And go ahead and make some relationships and share your faith with those who do not know the Lord? Will you fight the fear that is inside of you of doing that? Men, Will you fight for purity and love? When impulses for impure sensuality arise, will you fight? Will you keep fighting? When impulses to abuse power, to exercise it cruelly within your families, when those arise, will you fight against that? Wives, will you fight to encourage us when it might be easier to tell us where we've gone wrong? Wives, you know 
our wasted potential more than anybody else? Will you fight to encourage us in the Lord, to continue in the Lord? Kids, will you fight for the unloved, for the awkward people in your school? Will you fight the battle to care for them? Will you fight to use your time well? Will you fight when everything in you says, I don't feel like praying. I don't have time to pray. Will you fight to pray? Will you say with Samson, Lord, give me strength one more time? I can't help but hear that prayer and think of my mother. That was often said to me. It was said in my presence. I'm not sure if it was a sincere prayer. Lord, give me strength. But it can be a sincere prayer for us. Lord, give me strength to fight one more time. Have you failed a thousand times? Lord, give me strength to fight one more time. Brothers and sisters, don't be unaware. The enemy is out there. The enemy within is there as well. Our captain wants soul-sick, sacrificial servants, soldiers who know the secret strength of keeping our eyes, whether they be eyes that actually see or eyes that have been gouged out, of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can fight the good fight to the last breath and to the last man. Lord, we would your servants be. We would your soldiers be. We pray that you would make us faithful, true, and bold to fight as the saints who nobly fought of old and to win with them the victor's crown of gold. To your glory, help us to see what is in front of each one of us. Not somebody else's battle, but what is in front of us where we need to contend for the faith, where we need to contend for what is good and right and beautiful and true. Help us to do so boldly. Grant us the strength one more time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.